My previous church had a long time partnership with a church located in Haiti. This was a partnership that had lasted over three decades, a partnership with an Episcopal church that's called St. Andre, which is in the Central Plateau, uh, actually kind of far away from the capital, out in the middle of the country. And when the partnership began, the, this church had a preschool, but they dreamed of educating more students than just that small group. And so over the three decades, it grew to be a school that begins with preschoolers but goes all the way through high school and beyond, educating more than a thousand children. And the strength of the partnership was built upon relationships. I ended up getting to go to Haiti three times when I was at that church. And the first time that I went was in October 2010. And if you recall, the earthquake happened in January of 2010. So to visit in October was about 10 months after a massive earthquake had devastated the capital. Now, the church wasn't in the capital, but we did travel through the capital to get there. And so I saw the streets where buildings had just been reduced to rubble. And even 10 months later, the concrete was strewn everywhere. There were tent cities with thousands and thousands of people still living in tents as their only way of having shelter. And I saw the gleaming white presidential palace that had toppled in upon itself that had yet to be removed. Nobody knows how many people died in that earthquake, but it was certainly in the hundreds of thousands, which is a staggering thing to try to take in. And what I learned and what I saw while being in that country was I saw how in the midst of death, life was being lived. And one of the experiences most full of life was worship on Sunday morning at St. Andre's in Hinch. The service was at 7 in the morning and based on the weather in Haiti and considering that there is no air conditioning in the church, 7 was a good time to gather and the church was packed. The service was right out of the very same Book of Common Prayer that we use, same prayers, only in French. And there were two or three different choirs plus soloists who were youth from the school wearing their school uniforms. There was copious incense and musicians who played a keyboard, electric bass, and two sets of drums. And then when it was time for communion, uh, we, they did a practice there that is actually maybe unfamiliar for many of us here at St. John's, but is very common in a lot of Episcopal churches. And that is to stand at the altar right before communion. Um, an acolyte will pour water over the hands of the priest. And there's a bowl called a lavabo bowl. And it's, it's a ceremonial thing. It's a ritual washing of hands. And then right after that, they did something that I had not ever seen before, but that I have been thinking about just about every Sunday in recent months, is all of a sudden a bottle of Purell appeared, and it was passed around, and everybody in the altar party shared some Purell and cleaned their hands. I've been thinking about that every weekend now. And you know, what they were doing was 
they were covering both aspects. First, having ritually clean hands, and then having actually clean hands, which we have come to learn is a very loving thing to do, especially in these times. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes that we hear about today in the gospel, they approach Jesus and they question him about the way his disciples do not ritually clean their hands. You can see them pointing their fingers. They ask a question. It's not really one of those questions where they're asking for an answer. It's an accusation. They say, this is the custom of the day, and why do your disciples not practice it? And it gives him the opportunity to offer his teaching where he says what goes into the body is actually not what defiles a person, but rather what we have to watch out for is what comes out of the body. And he quotes scripture saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I came upon a quote this week in an article about uh, making faith and religious life relevant again. And the quote was by Abraham Joshua Heschel, who said, It is customary to blame secularism for the eclipse of religion in modern society, but it would be more honest to blame religion for its own defeat. Religion declined not because it was refuted, but because it became irrelevant, dull, oppressive, and insipid. When faith becomes an heirloom rather than a fountain, when religion speaks only in the name of authority rather than with the voice of compassion, its message becomes meaningless. He wrote those words in 1955. And today, I believe these are good marching orders for us to seek a faith that is no mere heirloom, but that is a living fountain, to speak not in the name of our authority, but with the voice of God's compassion. And the word religion, after all, means to reconnect. You may have heard me say this before, the word ligament and lig. Lig is, is the same root, which means to connect, and so to re-lig to reconnect. That is what true religion does. It reconnects us to God. It reconnects, reconnects us to each other and to the truth. And one of the things that I've come to understand from having been in Haiti, a very complicated country, is that you don't go to Haiti to learn how to build roads and bridges or to run a healthcare system. You go to Haiti to learn how to live with your nose right up against the reality of the nearness of death. We in our country are not good at this. We need to remember how vulnerable we are. Perhaps like the scribes and the Pharisees, we in our North American culture use many things, including religion, to keep us buffered from the reality that this world is not all that there is. And our religious practices, when they are focused on the self, sometimes they are merely spiritual life insurance. But just because you have really good life insurance, that doesn't guarantee that you have a really good life. 
with the tragedies that have continued to unfold in Haiti lately and that have been unfolding for the people in Afghanistan. We should not live in a way that buffers our hearts from being broken. It should break our hearts to think of what the people in Afghanistan who have been our friends, the friends of the U.S., what they are going to have to do now. It should break our hearts that 170 souls were lost on Thursday to suicide bombers, including the 13 U.S. service members who willingly put themselves in harm's way. There are no easy answers. Nobody's hands are clean. There's plenty of blame to go around. And all of this actually should move us to humility and compassion. But I fear that the wave of waving of fingers, or the wave of finger pointing, um, and the taking of sides is just another version of trying to ritually wash hands, rather than rolling up sleeves and looking for ways that we can actually do something to help those who are hurting now. We can let religion make us feel safe, or we can let it reconnect us to God and God's commandment to love one another, to serve one another, even in the midst of hardships, disturbance, and vulnerability. And it turns out that true religion is not a way out of death, but a way into life. And that's it. That's the gospel message. To love like Jesus loves tends to involve actually getting dirty. Because really loving and really being in relationship can get messy. Amen.